welcome back to Breakthrough Conversations. My name is Brett English. My name is Ryan Rotego, and here in Breakthrough Conversations, we bring you guests who are going to give you insights into breaking through. And today we've got another powerful guest named Tenille Bentley. She is an author, she is a musician, she is a businesswoman, she's a phenomenal woman. She actually wrote Digital Consciousness, which is all about the evolution of consciousness into, within the digital terrain. Mm -hmm, 100%. She's also the founder of the Emotional Literacy and Mindfulness Academy for Children and one of the founders of the Encoder Experience, which is an hour-long guided meditation with an orchestra tuned at 432. It starts with the Emotional Literacy and Mindfulness Academy for Kids, a place where they unplug, learn about deeply connecting to self, and begin a regular practice of meditation, mindfulness, and emotional literacy. This is a place where they begin to understand their emotional grid system and how to work with it. They build intelligence around how to identify if it's theirs or someone else's. And more than this, they learn about the art of being in a world of doing. Join us to explore this multi-sensory experience of sound and frequency in a brand new way, where we bring together a string orchestra tuned to 432 hertz, three frequency musicians, a neuroscience hub, and you, the audience, get to bathe in a different kind of performance. One that will relax you, one that will engage you, and one that will open the senses like never before. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Can I just ask and start off? How did you go about your transition from the corporate world coming into the into mu into music and into more of the mindfulness academy and that sort of stuff? Mm. What was that like? Um, it was hard. <laughs> it was it was definitely challenging. Um, but I think like any journey, it's like you know you. If you follow your heart, um, sometimes it is the path that's less travelled. Mm. Um, so I copped it. I got, you know, a lot, I was I was at some of the top boards in Australia. I was oh, sitting wow. on. I was a board director of a four five hundred million dollar company. I was, um, you know, as as I suppose from the outside looking in, I was mm. running a multi million dollar company. I had fifty staff. I had the corporate world. I was living in in a nice suburb. I had a nice car. I had. Um, you know, I was I was travelling all around Australia and sometimes across the world to um, as a as a thought leader in, in mm. the space that I was in, um, and sitting on the board often as the youngest woman at the time um, and the only woman in in some of the boards. You know, and um, so for me, yeah, it was it was quite the transition. It was like yeah. a you know massive flip on the head, and I think where it started to break down was. I had built up and mm, what happened was two and a half years prior to that, I was actually sitting in a cafe, like um, having a cup of tea. And I'd, at that point, I'd tripled the bank balance of my charity and forgot to do oh. my own. And the charity I ran was um, was uh, for 10 years and we, we worked with um, people impacted by domestic violence and, um, and you know, people uh, that were come from abusive backgrounds and things yeah. like that. So supporting them through camps and through programs. And anyway, so, you know, I'm sitting there and I've like tripled the bank balance for my charity, forgot to do my own um, oh. and realised that I was broke. Oh, and I was wow. just like, okay. 
shit that I did that I did the entrepreneur thing really badly like I was just like oh my gosh it was like the first rule of thumb and any kind of I mean I've built, mm. been running businesses now for 20 years so I've never really had a proper job in 20 years if you want to call it that um and anyway so at this point I was sitting there and I was just like oh my god well what do I do and and I was you know had the napkin piece of paper pen and I'm like okay well hang on and then I had this at the time I was crying as well because I felt like shit how what am I how am I going to pay for this cup of tea that I'm about to drink yeah um and how did I get it so wrong and I followed all my heart logic but not the head logic and then I went the other way so I was like well what did I do in my charity that I could turn into a business and that was through social media at the time it was very early adoptive it was in the corporate market it was not something that was seen as valuable at all it uh, wasn't even a conversation, you know, it wasn't even in, in the midst. So it was very, very early days. Oh, wow. That um, must have been like game changing. Yeah, yeah. So I then took that and decided to build a model, ran with that. And in under two two years, it was a two and a half million dollar business. Oh wow. oh, wow. And I had 50 staff and it was growing at such a rate that I couldn't keep up. Mm. which sounds good but it's not that good um, because you can't control and I was working 16 to 18 hour days so I was I was on a very fast road to um, illness and disease and also um, the breakdown of um, just I was just so stressed out I was a completely different person to who I am today and Mm. I didn't like that person that I was I didn't like the way I led my people I didn't like the way I managed my company Mm. I think I you know I learned a lot in that fast growth sort of time but the moment that it hit me was when I walked in and we were employing staff so quickly that I walked in and someone and someone came next to me and said oh and I said oh can I help you and they said yeah I work here (laughs) no that's not no that's not good yeah. and that's not who I wanted to be remembered yeah. as you know I yeah. didn't want to be that person and that was my moment and it was just like something's got to change and as that happened of course the universe and the way that it does is that you know in the in our in our world of um in the world of sort of quantum physics and mechanics you know we create our reality and then the reality i could literally feel the parallels of the parallel dimensions kind of just go vroom, and things just starting to change and so the business started to have things that went wrong and things were breaking down and things were mm. starting to and i was watching all of this and it was kind of like i was watching it like in a matrix movie and i'm like whoa look at all this breaking down and I don't really want it to because I'm comfortable and I Mm. like you know but it's time and it was like I knew that it was time yeah and so naturally the universe sort of clicked everything into place and it started to break down and so had to cut um 80 percent of my business and um change the model completely um and then it uh, then I got space for the first time in my life pretty much I got space I was on a six-figure income I was working four hours a week um, four hours a week, four hours a week yeah, literally beautiful. and yeah. it was just you know and I had set up a really good model wow. but I was still in the same business and so things had to change as well from there I had to really I had to clean up my my act that was what I wanted to do I wanted to be more integral I wanted to be a better person I wanted to really redefine what my why was and I went away to Bali for eight days and I just like sat in a room on my own with a notepad and I was just like why am I even getting up in the morning what's my why why Mm. am I even doing this 
And I realised that after I dug deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper that I realised that it had nothing to do with a big business or a big car or a big house or a big anything. It was just like I just wanted the, the ability to wake up in the morning and create and have the freedom to create. Yeah. That was yeah. it. And okay. to be able to be of service to humanity. And how could I help what was, to me, an unsustainable planet? Um, and so for me, it was like this massive shift from what I was currently in. And it felt like trying to turn the Titanic because I was so embedded into the culture, mm. into the corporate culture. I was so embedded in, in you know, like boards and non-exec directors and all this kind of stuff. So it was real high level, you yeah. know, like um, corporate work. So to be able to come out of that was really difficult and it actually took a few years and mm. it started to transition through the guise of digital consciousness. So I started to realise that I was a part of the machine and I was actually contributing to the problem, which was that we're switching people on too much, we're plugging people in too much, we're not thinking about what this toy is that we have. So I <laughs> subsequently spent years building up a social media company mm. and now I wanted to unplug the next generation yeah so i was now on the flip side and it was like now what can i do to actually solve this problem because i i and i walked away from multi-million dollar opportunities that people wanted me to spearhead and run well tech, uh, technology companies and i was just like my question the thing that changed how i live and govern my life mm. was i take myself to my last breath and i think to myself i'm lying in bed i'm just about to go <laughs> Would this be a moment in my life that I would be proud when I look back at that? So I t it sounds a bit morbid, but you know, I'm in my deathbed and I'm like, is this something that I would be proud of, that I contributed to the world? Mm. And if it's a no, I just don't do it. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I wouldn't be proud of being the leader of that technology company knowing that um, I'm now tracking everybody's footprints as they walk in and out of a store and, and subtly you know, marketing to them all these subtle mm. messages. So they'll buy more stuff, so they'll consume more. So, you know, and it just becomes this perpetual, you know, you thing. Become a machine, yeah. yeah, you become yeah. a part. And I'm like, I don't want to, I would not be proud of that contribution. Mm. So I, you know, and I've turned away massive opportunities as a result of that. But I, as, as a result of that, I feel better in here, in my yeah. heart. You know, like it's like, okay, I can, I can wake up in the morning knowing that I'm integral with my soul, I'm in mm. alignment with what it is, and I'm in service. And it became, this, when the circumstance becomes bigger than you, that is when you can actually um, step outside of yourself and it becomes, not, it, it's not about me, it didn't become about me, it became the mm. circumstance became bigger. And so as a result, I sort of went through the digital consciousness path and I started interviewing some of the best people in the world, like the top leaders, Don Miguel Ruiz, you know, the author, author of... Um, oh, wow. You interviewed him? Yeah. I love well, that. that was, I had like a transition, transmission from him. It was intense. It was a brilliant interview. Um, yeah, so Don Miguel, um, Dr. Bruce Lipton, um, John oh, Demartini. Wow, really? um, you met Dr. Bruce Lipton? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's, that's crazy. He's amazing. Yeah. He's amazing, yeah. So Bruce Lipton, um, John Demartini... Um, the president of the HeartMath Institute and um, you know, a plethora of other people. But that was mm. part of my journey of starting to govern, well, what's my place in the world? So I started to interview these incredible people. And then that subsequently became a part of my book. And then the book was created and then that dovetailed into the Kids Academy. Okay. So, yeah. Sorry. With, with the book of Digital Consciousness, I remember like reading it ages ago, but also having the insight of like, wow, I never thought of myself 
in the extension of the platform of Facebook and Instagram, and that's technically me. People are perceiving me, and it's extending my consciousness. How did you become? How did you get this realization to write that book? Like, was it just from working in the industry? I'd or? meditate before writing, mm, and then I'd just okay. channel it. It would just come out. Yeah. Wow. So it'd just be like you know, I just kind of I'd start writing it, and I'm like. I'd be writing, I'm reading, I'm like, that's cool. <laughs> you know, so it was just like, I don't know if it was even me writing it, but oh, wow. I mean, but now I don't really like that book. I'm like, mm, I don't feel you? like I need I to write it, another yeah. one. So yeah, I'm, I want to do it, do one that's more relevant nowadays, but it's still, it's still a great book. Like yeah. it's still got, but I think because it was when, my when first. When did you write it? What year was this? Oh, it would have been maybe eight years ago, seven years ago now. Oh, okay, wow. yeah. Yeah, yeah, a while ago. But yeah, so that I mean, but that was really looking at you know the consciousness of humanity and the, and what does digital do to the consciousness of humanity at a greater level, and what's the digital legacy that we leave or the or the imprint that it leaves on yeah. humanity. Um, we've got a toy here; we don't really know what we're playing with, mm. um, and that's also in the world of spirituality. You know, I see a lot in the spiritual world people playing with spirituality, and they don't really know what they're playing with. But that's also their journey. It's yeah. like you know, but we need to make sure we govern that journey and ground ourselves in to begin to understand. Well, you know, it's not about me. So, am I being of service to the greater collective? Is my service? beyond my ego is my service beyond self mm. and when it starts it's it's the saying from the saint francis prayer you know um it's by self forgetting that one finds so when we start to forget we we begin to find and it's just like you know when you step into that space none of the glitz and glam glamour none of the, the the shiny lights none of that matters it just yeah. it, it changes it, there's a transition and so i suppose that was my transition Mm. Long answer to your question. Yeah. No, no, I like this. Sometimes I want to ask you a question, but then you answer it, it, and I haven't yeah, asked it. Like, oh, this, this I can is hear it. Yeah, yeah. That, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I was going to say is, um, what are some tools or techniques that you've used to to transcend the ego, or to be observant of the ego, or to not get caught up in the trap of the ego? Yeah, uh, the 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 quickest tool that I've used has been just that one of self observation. So every micromanaging myself. You know, like watching how am I doing this? Like, where am I coming from? And when I can see, I can see the shift in when I'm in my ego state to mm. when I'm like, you know, in a place of service. So, you know, when I'm speaking on stage in front of maybe, like, I, I do a lot of speaking at different groups and things. And so I get booked through, um, I've got like a, a booking agent that books me usually. And so I'll speak to some, some groups of, you know, hundreds and some of small. And it's very easy for, the ego to revel in that and be oh yeah you know I'm mm, but yeah. and that's when, when you know that like you can it's it's deciphering between and it takes a lot of practice is starting to identify those masks so when am i sitting in ego and when am i just in that flow state now most times when i'm speaking i enter into like a flow state so it's just it just flows and it's mm. not and it doesn't become about me yeah. it becomes about how can i be of service to those people but be, but the best way that I've also done it, some tools, is whenever I walk into a room or whenever I'm working with a group or I'm running a workshop, I always have a prayer. And I'm like, please allow me to be of ultimate service. You know, the reason I am here is to be of service to them. It's not mm. about me. Um, and checking in with that every day. Yeah. Every day. Because the ego never goes. Ego is something that is always going to be there. And it is actually a good thing. It serves us mm. when we're in danger. It serves yeah. us when to have spiritual discernment. It serves us when we've got to, to be discerning of certain characters of people and what's good for us and what's not. Mm. So it's now starting to learn, well, where is that 
you know, where is that coming from? When am I in there? And it's a constant. It's just there's no end point. You just every day tweaking it. We're always we're always going to be working with the ego mm. and loving that part of us, but then also being able to catch ourselves when we're like, okay, now I'm really in the I'm in the unhealthy ego right now, and I, yeah. I find myself in those states sometimes, and I have to pull myself out and yeah. it's like Tenille, and just pull myself out, and that's the only way you can do it because you've got to pattern interrupt those neural pathways in the brain to start to change that behavior. Mm, and that yeah. takes repetition. Yeah. During wow. your, sorry, um, during your first speeches or when you're going into this um, journey, how did you overcome that imposter syndrome when you're kind of fearful that, I don't know, people are gonna people judge think, you, yeah, yeah, what yeah. other people think? Yeah, I think imposter syndrome is definitely, I mean, it was something I taught to a women's group just recently. Not as qualified to be talking about this, but you know what? I'm going to get qualified by talking about it. So when I first started the social media business, I didn't know how to use social media. I wasn't a professional at it. I just So what I did was I went and started running free workshops and I learned as I taught because the ultimate saying is you teach the things you need to learn the most, whether it's spiritual, whether it's business. So teach what you want to learn the most and mm. your the things we do in the service we give to humanity is part of our soul's evolution anyway so the imposter syndrome is just there i look at it as a check-in for me to get better at what i do and just be better at what i do as opposed to letting it stop me from what i do i look at it and go well i don't know that all right well i'm going to teach it so i do know it you know, and you listen to yourself as you teach and you start watching and you gauge the, gauge the audience and you gauge how, how people are reacting. I, use, I always use it as a testing ground. I, some, I, I walk in without knowing what's going to come out of my mouth in the first 30 seconds. Oh, wow. Yeah. Does that make you anxious at all? No, no, because, I've, because it, I trust so much. Trust. See, yeah. the ego is what stops you from doing that. True, true. The ego is like when you stop and you're overthinking because when you're in ego, you're in your head because you're overthinking. So the minute you start thinking about the why, the how, all of that, you're in, you're in your head state. You're not here because so, you can't be in both at the same time. Yeah. You know? So whenever I'm in there, it means, oh, shit, I'm in ego. Okay, jump out mm. and just flow. Because we have that God-given gift, all of us have that ability just to flow what's in, like, the, um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell, Outliers, great book, speaks about, and also Blink. So it's like he talks about the first, ten, the first millisecond of a blink. Within a blink, we know intuitively that situation. We know intuitively that person or whatever it is. But we then interrupt it with our heads. And, we, and all the patterns of all of our programming and all of that comes into play, wow. which then governs our choice. So it's like if you can just get that bit out of the way and just go straight to the blink, you're, you're in. You're in that state. Yeah. And that's that flow state that they talk about. Yeah. So, yeah. But that flow state comes from the heart and being in the heart first and foremost or just not thinking at all? Not thinking, yeah. I think mm. when I run workshops with people, the last group I did, with a group of women in Exmouth and I said to them, I asked them questions and I said, I don't want you to even think about the answer. Just write whatever comes straight mm -hmm. away because the moment you start thinking is the moment you've gone into the head state and you're now starting to program what you think it should sound like or what you think it might sound like because then you'll be loved and accepted or you'll sound better or you're whatever it is. So it's just as soon mm -hmm. as you can find that just flow, you know, you can have structure and I believe I'm a big stickler for structure, yeah. but within the structure, allow that creative flow just to, and when we get out of our own way, that's when 
magic happens. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. Wow, that's a lot, lot to think about, hey? Yeah. <laughs> how, how do you go about like trusting that initial intuition? Yeah, trusting the initial intuition is a really, because it, it is, it's a skill. It's yeah, like it building, is. it's like going to the spiritual gym. It's like, you know, you go to the physical gym, you work out the muscles and they get stronger and stronger and you can build, you can lift more weights. It's exactly the same with the spiritual muscles. So you go to the spiritual gym. So what you do is you start small. So you start with what you're going to wear. You can, and, you, and you do it in a way where it's like, does it feel light in my body or does it feel heavy in my body? So it might be, I'm going to drink this, but does it feel light in my body or heavy? And you just check in and you're like, it feels light, it's okay. Um, and each time you do that, you get more and more attuned to tuning in to what your intuition is saying because it's that first blink. So how do I feel about that person? How do I feel about picking out that item of clothing? And I usually say, start small. So start on the basics. Like, what, what say it's Monday and you're like, you go to your wardrobe and you're like, all right, I'm just going to go. I'm not even going to think about it. I'm going to grab that. How does that feel? feels light in my body. feels light. I'm going to wear that. Yeah. You know, so it's just those simple, simple little things. And then you build up and up and up and up into the intuition. And the more that you, we've all got it. We, mm. we just get in our own way of it. And it's usually the thing that we, that instinctful moment, that instinctful thought that comes in before we start thinking about it. And it's just trying to find that window. So when you meet someone, you get a vibe. Yeah. You know, that's intuition. We, you know, so mm. keep doing that. So the more you meet someone, keep tuning in and just go, oh, how do I feel about that person? What was my first, my, my first 30 second or my first blink moment with that person? And the more you do that, like the spiritual gym, you know, you can lift heavier weights and you can start doing more and more and more. And it just takes that, it's just chipping away. It's like, and it never ends. There's no goal, there's no end point. I think for me, that was the thing that really helped me mm. was that there was no end destination to be, to be enlightened or whatever, even if that, you know, like the whole journey is enlightening. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. It's not about that destination. It's not mm. about getting to having somewhere to go or having, you know, trying to be, because the more you try to drive to be more spiritual, more intuitive, more, that's ego. You're in ego because you're trying. The moment you're trying, you're in ego. It's just like step out of it. And just let it flow naturally and trust in mm. the trust in the flow of it. Now, a great example is, say for example, you're like you're in a job you hate, you're living a life that doesn't quite feel great, you know, you feel like that there are things that could change. Mm. You could sit there and try really hard to force that change and you go, Okay, I'm gonna move out, <clears throat> I'm not gonna see that person, I'm gonna change my external circumstances. And then some, suddenly something happens and boom, you land this dream job and something ha and it happened without you being involved in it. It just flowed. It just yeah. happened. Mm. And when you start to see those moments, focus more on that because those are the moments when we are out of the way, these things will happen with or without us. We've got point A to point B. We've either got a choice that will just flow to that point and, and govern by the universe, govern by source and, and allow ourselves. And of course, it doesn't mean you just sit on the couch and do nothing. You still, <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> you have to still get off your butt and do stuff. <laughs> but you know, it's just like point out. But that's even in in the action. It's knowing when to be in action and when not to be in action. Mm. So I do that too. I call it an intuitive push. I could be today. I'm just not doing anything. Today's today is just not a day for me just to reset and to recharge. And then that could last for a few days or even a week. And then all of a sudden, I'm like. Okay, it's go time. 
I've got to get up and do stuff now. And I trust in that cycle instead of me trying to force that I've got to do it from nine to five and then I finish at five and then I have my, my, my dinner at six and then I have my shower. And it's like, just let yourself kind of flow through your day in a different energy, in a different way and just see how it feels, you know. Mm. And as you start to find that, you'll start to be able to notice what, what you need and you'll tune more into your intuition because you'll be like, oh, okay, well, I can feel the push. I've got to get up and do something now. Yeah. Um, but you can go from point A to point B with you know, a lot of resistance or you can try and control it or you can try and uh, like change the, the outcome. But ultimately, you're going to get to point B, whether you're with or without you, it's happening. <laughs> you know, that's God's God's yeah. path. It's like you're, you're going to get to you're going to get to point B or source, whatever you want to call it. You know, you're going to get to point B. So with my choice is I'm either going to just take that path and flow with ease and grace or I'm going to do this, I'm going to go, 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 run, 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 all the way to point B. And then, and then I'm going to be exhausted when I get there. But you know what? I was going to get there anyway. So it's just a choice of which way, how you want to get mm. there. Yeah. When it comes to things like manifestation and intention, when you're sort of building a direction for your life, is there anything that you would, have you, you used that's been successful? Anything that you should warn not to people to avoid when it comes to that sort of stuff like are you forcing it when you have a strong intention and yeah. desire and napoleon healing yeah it's, good, like, it's a really know? good question i've been through that journey of like i have and i've done dream boarding and i've got everything on my dream board you know yeah. i've been at a point where I, I was a very fortunate position where everything i put on my dream board i got and then i was like well mm, what do i do now <laughs> and i was like well what haven't i done so then that's when i wrote a book because mm. i was like i never thought i'd write a book yeah so you know and now i've written children's books as well but yeah I think with the whole dream building and intention I think it's like anything there's you can have basically where if you look at the, the universal body or the self and we're in this bucket of water right so you're in this bucket and the bucket is the container you you're the hand that puts the hand into the water and you can swish it around like that right and there's a thousand a million different paths it could take mm. but ultimately you're still in the one bucket of water so either you're going to you know put your hand in and just let it flow or you're going to shake it around and make it really difficult or you've got all these different paths that you can govern how you how, what you want so ultimately the point I'm getting to is that you can create an intention you can create a dream board Mm. And you can intend like your all intention, but if it is not governed within that body of water, then it's not going to happen. Mm. You know, and we can push and we can push and we can push and we're like, that's what I'm going to get, that's what I'm going to get, that's what I'm going to get. And you can do it, but and you might get it, but it's going to be really tough going. Like mm. for me, that was my thing. I wanted to wanted to turn over a million dollars in my in my business in the first year, yeah. and I pushed and I pushed. But you know what? I worked eighteen hour days, and I nearly ended up in hospital. I I did a couple times. Like I was so sick from, from working too hard. Mm. So it was like, yeah, you can get it and you can work really hard and get it. But it's, if it's not in, within that bucket of that, that governing bucket of water, yeah. whatever your destiny points are, you know, that are already pre-written, that are already governed for you, you kind of like you can push and push and push. So what I would do with my dream boarding or my intention was I would take the ego out of the intention. I would take myself out of it and I would just go, what is the feeling? that I want to aspire to. So for example, my current sort of visual board is I've just got a picture with no words and it's a, say a picture of like an eagle. Now the eagle is not 
it's not not sort of like power or anything like that. It's to be able to be sharp, have sharp vision. Okay, so it's a symbol. Okay. So yeah. it's a symbol. So use images as symbols. And yeah. I'm like, I want to be able to have sharp vision and awareness and be able to see the bigger picture. So that's what that picture means to me when I see it. Or I, I have another picture. So, so what you do is you have the image and you, you have the associated feeling with it. So when you've got the associated feeling, what you're, you're not actually trying to control what mm. it looks like, how that's going to be. Oh, it's going to be a million dollars and I'm going to impact a thousand people. Mm. It's not about numbers. Yeah. Because if you can't do it with one person, you're never going to be able to do it with a million people, yeah. right? Mm. So do it on the basis of what the feeling is. What's the outcome of the feeling? How do you want to feel with that particular goal that might be associated with it? And then be open to the fact that it's probably not going to go the way you want it to. <laughs> you know, it's probably mm. everything in my life has gone the opposite of what I had in my head of, well, yeah. to be planned. You know, all the things I do in my life now were mm. not on my list of things to do. Yeah. So the, the whole like um, music thing wasn't on your list a few years ago? No, I, had, I didn't sing for 15 years. Oh, I stopped because wow. I started running, running businesses. Yeah. I, I was singing in bands when I was younger, travelled mm. around Australia, back oh, of really? a truck, harmonica, musos, like did the whole pub music thing and that was a, a wonderful experience. You were lead singer? Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. And oh, cool. I was doing that and singing and writing music and um, talking to some record companies and I said to myself at 23, if I don't get that record company or that record um, label, then I'm done because yeah. I'm not marketable then in my yeah. mind. Did you have any mixtapes from back then? I do. <laughs> Can I listen to one? <laughs> <laughs> they're, yeah, they're, yeah. I definitely want to hear one of those. That'd be awesome. Yeah, gotta love history, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Time capsules of history. Um, so yeah, so you know, I stopped at 23 yeah. and then it was all about business from 23 onwards and I started running three companies at that stage and then built up, you know, my first company turned over half a mil and then I started building more. How did it feel like when you're turning over millions of dollars per year? Was it like, were you happy and excited or was it, it was empty? Empty, empty and tiring Mm. and exhausting and not what I thought it would be. Wow. Yeah, it was not worth it. How would you go about running, if you were going to start over a company, doing it in a conscious way and coming from a hot space, how would you go through that process? Well, that's what I've done with the Kids Academy. So what I did was instead of looking at my business like a commodity or like a product, I looked at it like a human being. I looked at it like a being. I, I was birthing a child, <laughs> right? It, so yeah. that being now has feelings. That being has emotions. That being has its own nucleus of growth, right? So it starts off as a baby. I have to, when it's a baby, I've got to feed it. It's gonna, all it's going to do is, is eat sleep and shit (laughs) you know so that's like the the first you know start of the business which is what keeps you up all night and why you work around the clock building the first few years of your business okay yeah yeah. but i was very intentional about my energy when i would work in that business because i knew that it was like a person when you come into the space you need to be um aware of what energy you bring into that space you know what is what am i bringing into the space when i'm interacting with another human being and it's the same with my business so it's like what is my energy right now when I'm working on this business? Am I coming from scarcity? Am I coming from ego? Am I coming from fear? Where am I sitting before I start working in my business? And that if I was sitting in ego, if I was sitting in scarcity, if I was sitting in fear, I wouldn't work in my business. I'd stop and just go do something else. Okay. Mm. And then sometimes I try and push through it because that that's that element is still in me. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, like, but then I catch myself and I'm like, okay, I've got to stop. And, and pull myself out again, but yeah. 
Okay. Do you have any practices that you go through when you have to stop and pull yourself out? Um, yeah, sometimes when I go too far in, that's where my beautiful partner is great because she pulls me out because I can go too far in where I just become blind yeah. and, I, and I can't see, my, see myself out of it. Um, so my practice is always having like a, a morning ritual. Now I've just shifted house, so I don't have that at the moment, which I'm feeling the effect of that. Yeah. But having some kind of morning ritual where I am, um, you know, whether it's the meditation, whether it's, um, you know, in the morning, I would I would ask myself, like, what are the three things I really want to um, achieve today? What are the three things I want to work on? What, what am I going to focus on? Um, doing my yoga, a bit of body movement and making sure that I, um, you know, have my celery juice and my, my smoothie and look after the body um, and, you know, just take that morning. And usually what I do, I don't start working until 11, 12 o'clock. Oh, wow. Okay. So I take the whole morning to really get myself ready for the day and then I'll work maybe through to the night and have dinner and then and take a break but I find my own cycles so it's knowing what your power cycle is some people have power cycles are in the morning so it's when you feel the most active mm. that's where you do most of your most of your productive work for your business so mine's at night so I would work more I'd at work night. better yeah. at night yeah so it's finding that cycle. So just finding your natural cycle, not doing the normal, like, oh, it's during the day, so I have to work. It's like, no, if I want to work at night, I'll just work at night and then I'll just rest during the day. Just find your own rhythm. Okay. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Oh, that's powerful. Like, yeah. I've got a little bit, I think I'm finding the same, where I'm more productive at night than I am during the day. Like I do more, way more at night than in the morning, I have no idea why. Yeah, it's your power cycle. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's it's your power cycle. Like, yeah. and, and there's nothing wrong with that. We're so governed and structured in, you know, our industrialization of, of schooling and, and how we're taught um, to be somewhat robotic, you know, like, and this is the way and the time zones of how we're meant to do everything. Like, yeah. I just blew all that out of the water and just go, what do I want to do? You know, when am I at my best? And that's when I'm going to do my most productive work. Yeah. And then the rest of the time is downtime or just looking after myself or, or doing other things that I need to do. Yeah. yeah. How did you get out of that mindset where if you're trying to grow a business that you have to be working all the time and you have to be yeah. grinding your way all the time? The way that I did that was I let go of the outcome. I let go of the need to feel like I had to achieve the big business because I'd done it all done yeah. that before I was kind of lucky because I've done it I, mm. I kind of now know but people who haven't always have or a lot of people have that desire to build it big to make it huge to make lots of money um, I took all that away I took away the need to be governed by and of course you know we need money to to buy food and do all of that unless you grow it yourself and you know so it's just like it's taking away the outcome of what's driving you to do the business and then that changed the way I flowed with my business and the way that I flowed in my day. Okay mm. so detachment from outcome is key. Yeah mm. detachment from outcome but being of service and knowing that it is bigger than you um, and the thing that I found is that because I love what I do so much I do it a lot so I love my work um, you know my biggest challenge was not working you know, okay. Yeah. yeah. For me, it was not working. I would. I. I loved what I love. What I do so much that I will just keep doing it. And so I need to sometimes get pulled out <laughs> because it's just like all I'll do if I'm left to it is work mm. because my work is my service and my service is what 
I believe is the thing that's going to contribute to humanity and that's the thing that makes, you know, it's bigger than me. It's not, I'm just the worker bee, yeah. you know. I'm just being governed by source to go out and do and serve and be where it is I need to be. And, and in the morning I might say that. I'm like, where would you like me to be today? You know, where am I meant to serve? And then I'm just like, I follow that and then I go. Okay. Mm. That's, awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. It's a lot of trust within yourself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think the moment I did that was when I found peace. Yeah. You know, I mean, you never really are. For me, it's not, it's a, I call it a pocket of peace. That's my next book. <laughs> it's yeah. called Pockets of Peace. Nice. It's like not, not trying to govern my life to be in a state of peace all the time because we're in chaos, really. You know, yeah. our world is in chaos. So it's how do you find those pockets of peace in between the chaos, you know? And, and when things are chaotic, I always remind myself that brilliance happens on the edge of chaos. So when things are chaotic, that is when we flourish into brilliance. So sometimes yeah. it's not a bad thing, it's just how we hold ourselves in that. You know, can we keep being aware or do we default into our subconscious programming when we're under stress? Yeah. You know, so it's just watching that with ourselves. Yeah, mm. yeah. And when you said that you were kind of, you jumped out of the corporate world, like how did you come about kind of rediscovering your identity outside of the corporate world? Yeah, I did a lot of, um, I did a lot of sort of self-navigation, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, I actually went into a state of um, where I went for a whole year. I went into my woman cave, I call it, you know, and, I, and that was my depths of my spiritual work that started to happen. I was alone and I decided for a year I would void myself of all desires. So it was a year of celibacy. It was a year of um, not... Um, Anything that I desired, any human temptation, whether it be chocolate or whatever it was, I didn't let myself have it. I wanted to see if I could not be governed by desire of things external to me. So I did this for a practice for a whole year where I was just on my own. I, I watched a lot of documentaries. I read a lot of things. I, um, you know, um, I, was a, I meditated a lot. I explored all different kinds of modalities <laughs> yeah. and in that process was sort of where I really um, I accelerated in my in my spiritual development because I was I, I was alone in my with my with my thoughts and I was alone with myself um, and I did not let myself um, go give in to any sort of external desires or external temptations or even attention I just I didn't want attention from anyone I didn't want to be seen I wanted a year of kind of just being invisible and not important and that was a really beautiful practice oh, Wow! Mm. can you tell us what what happened in that year did you have any experiences that were very profound or any insights that sort of happened yeah, man, I had lots. I broke my house. <laughs> well, spiritually, anyway, like it was like I had so much energy going through me at one point that I shorted the whole house out. Like it was just like everything broke at the back oh, end wow. of the house. So, yeah, it was like the washing machine, the, the toaster, the dishwasher, the um, fridge, everything just <laughs> because I had yeah. so much energy going through me at the time. I remember there was a phase where you couldn't wear a watch because the watch would just stop working. Yeah, I still can't. Oh, really? When I wear watches, I still, they just don't, I short them out. So, wow. yeah, oh, wow. so energetically something's <laughs> going on, but, you know, it's like, um, and then, yeah, and then other things, I'd have, you know, photo frames flying off the wall and um, wow. lots of sort of, you know, s people would call spooky experiences, but What's that was, that was the moment. Well, it never really, fe I, I didn't feel scared. I would just laugh and I'm like, seriously, I walk up to the frame, I'm like, seriously? And I, 
I'd be like, is that how you want to communicate with me? Are you, are you sure? Like, let's just let's just break this down a bit. And I'd be having this conversation <laughs> in the middle of my bloody hallway. And I'm like, you don't need to do this like creepy stuff. Don't bother to doing that. Like, just talk to yeah. me, you know, and, you know, be careful what you ask for. Because then, yeah, everything kind of um, from that point was when I called it the voice. That was yeah. the voice started to talk to me. And mm. that was the thing that started to govern um, my entire life and my whole life changed from that point because okay. I started to trust and that voice to me whether you want to call it God whether you want to call it source energy higher self whatever it was it was my inner compass and it became vocal and it was like it governed my choices from that point on so did you have to give that voice permission to talk with you in some way or another because you were saying there's better ways to communicate with me why don't you just talk to me and then all yeah of a sudden, i think maybe i didn't think about it that way but i yeah. but i probably did somehow open that up mm. but also it was also not chasing sometimes when we you know i went through a phase where i was like i want to hear i want to see i want to feel i want to go deeper i want to be better you know that's just all ego i was just like i just want to be a, a stronger spiritual person i want to hear stuff i want to see stuff that's but you know you've got to be careful you've got to be careful what you wish yeah. for because it, it really you know like being in that state once you switch that tap on and that's what happened that mm. tap switched on and everything went everything and i swear i was almost close to checking myself in one one or two times oh, a really? month. i'm yeah. like oh my god am i losing it you know but eventually you learn to govern it like all the what you hear like i could hear people's thoughts i could hear um the trees, animals, everything talking oh, wow. to me at once. Like it was just everything. I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> what were people thinking? Like yeah. this random, like a random thought would hit you. I'm like, whoa. I'm yeah, yeah. It was like, and oh, one time, because I, I would be training at the gym, because I was, um, at that point, I was training to climb Everest. I was doing oh, yeah. my, I was doing the Everest as a, that was one of my crazy, like, yes year things. <laughs> so I decided, and so I started training myself for mm. like six days a week. And I was in the gym at this point. And this guy had broken up with his girlfriend and I heard his thought like so clearly. He just was so sick of women. He was just like, F off, I don't even want to talk to a woman. I'm like, okay, bye. <laughs> I walked away. <laughs> you know, like it was just like, you know, and things like that. I could hear, wow. hear those things. Did it sound like he said it? Is, did you... Did you hear it like not it, audibly, like not like we're talking now, but I could yeah. hear it like a thought in my head and I knew it wasn't mine because I, mm. it wasn't even a thought that I had. Like it, there was no consciousness around yeah. it and it was in a male's voice. Oh, well, so, so the, oh, wow. the tonality is there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah the tonalities okay. change depending on, yeah, it cool. depends on the person and, and sometimes it does. But yeah, but you know, that, and that was sort of the start of it. And then years, a few years passed and I'd, I'd gone to the rainforest and I had the whole like Neil Donald Walsh experience, oh, really? you know, conversations with God. Yeah. Um, not intended by any way, but I went out and, and I think this is the key in any of anybody's spiritual development, cultivate silence. Mm. The more you can cultivate silence, especially in the world that we're in, that's where you find your connection, you know. Mm. So I would go out to the rainforest and... I just sort of, you know, it's so funny that the, the change of it would be I'd be flying over to Brisbane to do a board meeting. So I'm in like full decked out suit, you know, 20 other men high up in management, 60 plus, And, you know, we got board meetings, six hour board meetings. And then I fly, you know, and then I drive to like the rainforest, <laughs> get out of the suit and then go into um, trekking into the rainforest. And um, yeah, and it was like three o'clock in the morning. I don't even know, it was some weird hour. And I had no phone. I made sure I was somewhere where I couldn't get contacted. Mm. So it was just that cultivation of that silence. And in that moment, that was where the whole conversations with God thing took place. And it was just like, 
wow, this is crazy. So, and that was like an automatic writing experience or just an auditory? Yeah, it was like, well, I was asleep and it wasn't unusual. And it was like, you know, it's suddenly this voice and it's like a booming voice. I was like, you have questions. And I'm like, no, I don't. I want to go to sleep. And, I'm like, and so I went back to sleep and it's like, you have questions. And I'm like, no, I don't. I want to sleep. And so I tried to go to sleep and there was just like this, and it would not, I knew when this happened, like mm. it wouldn't stop if I didn't do something. So. Yeah. Like, fine, I've got questions. All right, all right. So I went and sat down and I put pen to paper and I'm like, well, what are these questions that I have? Because I was annoyed at this point. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm tired. And I'm like, what are these questions? So I just thought, okay, I'll just sit in it. I'll just sit in it. And then the question, I'm like, oh, yeah, actually, okay, I've got a question. So I start writing a question. And then the answer writes. Wow. And I knew it wasn't me because of the answer. I didn't like the answer. <laughs> oh, okay. like, yeah. you know, I was like, I didn't like what was being, what was being written back to me. Do you remember, do you remember what the questions were? One of the key ones was at that point I was vegetarian. I'd been eating meat every single day and then all of a sudden mm. came out of meditation saying the word vegetarian. I'm like, oh, what? No, I don't know if I can do that. But then I got to the point where that tap switched on where I mm. was literally anything that was meat-based or even plant-based, I mainly with meat, I could see the animal and what happened to them. It would happen in a movie flash in front of me. Like a whole vision. Yeah, it was yeah. like a, wow. like watching a movie. It was like, and I was like, oh my God, I can't eat that. Um, and so I wrote the question, what do I do? Because everything, including the plants, uh, now I can hear things like this, you know, like I can hear there's words coming from people, like I can hear mm. them. What do I do? What do I eat? Am I going to be a breatharian or what? Like what's, what's the deal? Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, the answer was that, yeah, you know, animals usually die unwillingly um, and they, you know, but the plants give their life willingly. So all you've got to do is give gratitude, you know, just just say thanks, give your thanks before you eat. Mm. Because at that point I was really in a, in a dilemma of what to eat because I got to a point where everything, I was so connected deeply with mm. everything that... Um, I could, yeah, I could hear it all. So it was just like, okay, what do I do? And then slowly but surely, everything started to quieten down. And now it doesn't happen anymore. But it just, it, you, it switches on and off when it needs to. But most of my channeling of that kind of stuff comes yeah. through my music now. So when, okay. I, you know, like a lot of my music is about messages from Mother Earth mm. and what she's saying to humanity. So now it's beyond me. So it's the same journey mm. that we all have. It's like as soon as it becomes beyond yourself, then it's bigger than you then it's you know everything quietened and yeah. it switched off and now it became bigger than me and it's more about the message that is for other people for humanity as opposed to my own personal journey awesome so when you sit down to write a song or get into the zone creatively is there a practice that you do or does it sort of hit you randomly like i gotta, I gotta write this down yeah yeah i just literally i'll stand in front I'll, I'll just sit in front of a piano or something and just like my hands literally just go and then i'm like bam Oh yeah, that's good key. Bam. Oh yeah, yeah, that's it. Bam. And then it's just like, and I'm just like, all these tunes just start coming out, and the words just start coming oh, wow. out, and it flows. Do you ever hear the song in your head first, like a complete melody, like whoa, like that's this? Then, then you sort of bring it to life, or is it more no. of a co-creation? No, it's more of a co-creation. Okay. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, and but then sometimes you know it's, it can be a really intense emotion. So when the bushfires went, mm. I wrote. Um, I think I wrote a song called Legacy or something and it was like, you know, a really beautiful song and um, that, you know, that was because I had such a deep emotion over what mm. was happening yeah. and I could feel the pain of 
the earth. Like that was a really challenging time for me at, the, at that point. And I could feel all of the earth's pain. And I was like, oh my God, how, what do I do with all this? <laughs> it's like, ah. Mm. So I was like, I've got to write, write it down and just start writing some music. And that wow. usually helps diffuse it gets all it of that. Out. Yeah, uh, because yeah. there's obviously a reason that, that you know, and, and my, my music has brought many, many people to tears because mm. it makes them think. Yeah. And that was the point, was it makes you think about what's your impact on the earth? That's what am true. I doing on this planet? What's my footprint? You know, and it's really getting people to think through the guise of music. So mm. it's just another form of teaching. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I really like your um, performances with the orchestra. I mean, how did you come about having the idea to have a meditative spiritual experience with music and an orchestra? Was it a hard thing to, to pull together? Oh, yeah. It took us three years, three and a half years of work. And I just governing, and that was very flow state. So I mm. really trusted because I did not um, want to get in the way. If it was meant to happen, I would let it happen and follow that guidance. And if it didn't, then I would um, just let it go. I was willing mm. to let it go. But I spent two and a half to three years building that up. And what happened was I started the music, um, started developing the album, and then um, ended up a friend at the time, a friend of mine was... Um, it, within Wasso, so within the West Australian Symphony Orchestra. And at, at basically what happened was a, f um, a friend of mine initially had said, you know, you should really put this music with an orchestra. It would be amazing. Mm. I'm like, yeah, but I don't know how we do that. Like, they'd be in 432, so they have to tune down. And it would be interesting, yeah, but I don't know if I'm ready for, for that level because she's like, the world needs to hear you. And I'm like, yeah, mm. no, they don't. I'll just keep doing my thing and then whatever happens, happens, you know. Yeah. Um, and then by, by chance... <laughs> You know, it kind of had the meeting with Wasso at the time. And um, the biggest challenge was that we needed to create a musical score of my music, so convert it to a musical score. And so we needed a composer, and I was waiting for them to get that, and it was kind of taking longer than I liked. And I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll just ask, you know, I, I, and this was a one o'clock in the morning thing, woke up, and I'm like, mm. I wonder, and the producer of the, of the studio, I thought, oh, I'll give him a call tomorrow. And I'm like, I had this idea. What if we could use my music and like put it in with MIDI's and then convert it with a software to create the foundational score? And I'm like, is there a software like that that exists? So I rang mm. the producer and he's like, oh, I'll ask the other, man, the other owner and find out for you. Rings me back, yeah, oh, yeah, we do actually have that. We do have a software that does that. And I was like, mm. oh, cool, okay. So these are these synchronicities, right? So. Yeah. Any, any governance of your life is governed by synchronicity, so watch for them. Like, mm. you know, they, they come in, and, th and that was one. But then the next one was, oh, well, actually, the owner of the studio where I've recorded most of my album happens to be the head lecturer for composition at WAPA. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> wow. okay. like, I was saying I need a composer. And, mm. it's like, oh, but, and he wants to be involved. And so wow. that's sort of where it started. And so we started working on the project and he started building out and composing the orchestral score. We did a rehearsal with Wasso. It didn't quite go the way we were thinking. And then um, it was still great. Like it was still amazing. But it was a challenge tuning an orchestra down to 432. Yeah. So then um, my friend at the time who, well, he's still my friend. <laughs> he, he, he was the, um, the, the, CEO of Wasso at the time. Oh wow! But then he moved on from that, and then I said to him, "Well, we connected," and he's like, "Why don't let's just keep doing it? Like let's let's do the project ourselves and get our own orchestra." Mm. So we did that, and then we had people come in, and it just flowed so much. But it was just brilliant, and um, it kind of went from there. 
And that's wow. sort of, you know, just all these little synchronicities along the way um, happened. And we happened to be also filming a documentary on looking at the aspects of does sound heal. And then mm. I happened to have this great relationship with the Perth Brain Centre. So we brought them in, the neuroscientists in, to start to measure the brainwave activity of the participants at the event. So it was just like this mix of what I love as my, my personal love is arts mm. and science, bringing yeah. them back together because they used to be a one, one yeah. and now they've been separated into these two fields. And it's like, now I wanna try and bring them back together. Beautiful. Oh, wow. I always notice there's a lot of tears um, when your music starts to play. Yeah. Even, even with me, the first song was like, there was a tear coming, I was like, trying to fight it. <laughs> but I noticed a lot of people did that. And even when I first heard you um, perform, where you're just like doing the, the laying down ceremony, there was always so much energy flowing through me, like this goosebumps, like boom, and like different colors and visions. It was very, very powerful, the experience. I've never seen that or experienced that before. So mm. that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things, you know, a lot of people do have very profound experiences and they have, um, which is why I wanted the neurosciences team yeah. just because I wanted to document and say, well, what's actually happening at a physiological level of the body? Like what's going mm. on with, with our bodies when we're listening to this frequency? Um, because, yeah, I've had a lot of people sort of in over the years, you know, having really profound experiences, yeah. but I never claim... I'll never claim them as my own because it's not me. It's, you know, it's, I'm just the vehicle to do the service. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you seen the data from the, the brain scans? And no, stuff like not that? yet, but it will be coming out when we release the documentary. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what the data is because, you know, sometimes you, the, the variables that you can't really, you know, you, you've got to be careful with is that, you know, people will get anxious and nervous sitting in that environment with that. Yeah. So it's like, how do we decipher between the, the sort of anxiety or the nervousness that occurs when you're sitting there with some random thing on your head and you're like, yeah, how do you relax? <laughs> you yeah, know, they're yeah. reading me because that's what I would do. Like if I'm mm. on it, I'm like, oh, I'm, and you're trying to control how they're like, oh, they're reading me. So I've got to relax. I've got to relax. Shh, I've got to relax. Yeah. <laughs> you know? so it's, yeah. I, I get that same thing in meditation too. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just yeah. like, when I'm meditating, I'm like, or if I'm trying to work with my spirit guides or anything like that. I'm like, oh, they're, they're listening to my thoughts. Like, but like, don't say anything stupid. And I say something stupid in my head. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. Usually when That's it comes funny. to, yeah, with meditation, yeah. you know, if you feel like it's forced, then just don't do it. Yeah. Okay. Don't just have a day off. That's true. Yeah, there's yeah. been times where I go to sit for meditation and like his voice is like, no. Yeah, I'm the same. Today. Yeah. yeah. I get to a point and I get, I get to a certain point and then it's just like, okay, time to go. I'm like, all right. I kind of was ready to sit here for a while, but okay. I've got to change that battery quickly. But cool. I have some more <laughs> questions. This is actually the worst run. Both of them going yeah. down. Uh, yeah. Sorry, might be me. <laughs> Breaking them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to buy like some actual ones you're talking about the PowerPoint, but like yeah. the budgets are getting so high, it's like, whoa, like. Yeah, they can oh. get a bit pricey, can't they? All right, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so what I wanted to ask you was, what are some of, or what's been the biggest obstacle that you've had to overcome uh, personally lately that's been like one hard thing or one sticking point that's really... Mm. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say probably the most significant one was coming out at 40. Yeah. 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 Mm. Not realising that I was even... You know, that whole yeah. journey, like I've fallen in love, my life partner is a woman. Yeah. And um, 
And that's why I said, oh, man, because I was like, you have to tell the story. I'm like, I don't want to tell the story. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to okay. um, because I'm being told. <laughs> so, yeah, and, you know, like I was for most of my life, I was, I was in relationships with men. Mm. And then I fell in love with a woman. And even the day before, like we were friends for a few months, and even the day before, I said out loud to her, I'm not into women. Like, you know, it's just not my thing. Yeah. And then the next day it was just like, and my heart exploded. And I literally was yelling at myself out loud. I'm like, no, 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 this can't be happening. No, no, no. Like it was just like my head was not ready for what my heart was. And my heart was just like, it's happening, whether you like it or not. And I was just like, whoa. And so there was a big journey to be had there. So, you know, the family, um, you know, my my dad didn't deal with it so well at the time. Um, and you know, of course, it's a shock. Like it's a shock to everybody. Um, but having to cope with that, and then also feel the feelings of rejection and the feelings of abandonment, um, and you know, from different friends and different family, and so things like that kind of happened when I finally sort of admitted that this was how I felt. Mm. Um, but I was very clear before I made the decision. It was like, I'm not going to play with this person's emotions. This is not an experiment for yeah. me. This is yeah. a human being with actual emotions who has actual feelings and mm. I'm not going to play with that. So yeah. if I decide to take that step, it's a decision for the rest of my life. Yeah. So that was sort of powerful. the yeah. seriousness of what I was facing because I didn't want it to be an experiment. You know, it wasn't, that yeah. wasn't not fair on her either, you know, mm. so... Yeah, so it was a really interesting journey. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I had to hold, I had to hold myself in uh, or hold the space of love and compassion and understanding because I also needed to mourn the, the, the person that I thought I was going to, you know, be like in my mind, it was going to be married and settled down, but, you know, and it was uh, not same sex. It was, yeah. you know, so there was this whole journey of mourning a type of person that I thought I was going to be, plus my family had to mourn that, you know, they had yeah. visions for whatever it was, you know, it was a different kind of, it was, it, and, and it, what was really interesting for me on that journey was, and this was this voice, so, and a part of the, the journey of me being with her has been because the voice also governed me to it, mm. and it was like, what it said at the, at the time was really poignant, because I was just like, oh my God, what am I doing? I can't do this. This is ridiculous. I don't understand. What? What's going on? And it's just like, well, you speak of unconditional love. And so if you speak of it, well, now is your opportunity to show it. Because who are you to judge what form love mm. comes in? And That's I, true. And That's I was true, just yeah. like, touche. Damn it. <laughs> All right. So it looks like I'm going down this path. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So is that what you would call obviously an ego death? Yeah. 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 yeah it was, and, and, and it really... It really showed me my unconscious biases that I had mm. about same sex, even though I had friends that were gay and all of that. But my unconscious biases came to the surface that I didn't even know I had. And I was and things like, oh, I can't really hold hands in public in front of people because I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Or I don't want to kiss my partner in front of people because I don't want them to feel uncomfortable. Because to me that was icky. Like I was yeah. just like I didn't want to, you know, it didn't seem natural because we're brought up from babies been shown male female male female there's no mm. there's no gender equality there's or gender diversity you know yeah, yeah. um so we grow up and i knew it was my social cultural conditioning that had those unconscious biases yeah. and not my heart you wow, know okay. so it was like that governance between the two it was like is this social cultural conditioning or is this really me is this what i really think and i'm like no it's social i don't really mm. i don't really care about that but 
it seems to be conditioned in me because I've been brought up on cartoons, on TV shows, all of it's been programmed in, Mm, you know. So it was a really interesting um, unraveling that needed to happen. And also a new form of like um, neuroplasticity. I had to rewire my brain, literally very consciously. I, I mean, mm. I always played with neuroplasticity from, from 10, 10, 11 years ago, not even knowing it was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So I'd throw thing. myself into something just to see how my brain would react or just to see how I would respond. I'd go mm. and do crazy things just to see how would I cope with that. What are some of those crazy things? <laughs> Uh, climbing Everest was definitely oh, yeah. one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, climbing Everest was one. Um, I would um, martial arts go and try that. Um, capoeira. Um, I'd just go and do these random yeah. things just to see how would I cope, how would I learn. Now I'm doing cello, and then I was learning another language, and it's just things like that, just That's to see cool. what you know. What what does my brain do in these circumstances? So yeah, yeah it's really interesting. It's fun. Yeah. I'm best yeah. my best guinea pig. <laughs> Can you still do capoeira now? Are like, you good with the kicks? <laughs> nah, <laughs> I stopped doing capoeira. I'm now just into yoga. Okay. <laughs> so it's awesome. just like I just do gentle stuff now. I went through the intensity stuff and jumped off cliffs and jumped out of planes and, you know, did all sorts of crazy things. But mm. I feel like I got that out of my system. <laughs> awesome. Wow. How long did you do capoeira? Uh, I think it was probably about two years. Two years. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I got green, I got green yellow belt. I yeah. got to my first belt. And then in mixed martial arts, I got to my first belt as well. And then I also did, you know, and some of the other crazy things was I did like um, bodybuilding training and sports conditioning oh, training. Nice. Yeah. When I did Everest, I wanted to train myself to see how hard, how high I could get my body. Like how mm. hard could I, could I train my body? Where's the peak? And yeah. that was what I did. I used that as an experiment for a year and a half. I trained six days a week with a sports conditioning coach and a nutritionist. Wow. And I just pushed myself to see how far. And I said to my coach, I'm like, I want you to train me like you train your athletes. That's the point I want to get to. And that's the point I got to. Wow. And before I went to Everest, you know, was just, I just wanted to see what I could how do. How much weight did you put on? I got up to, I probably put on about 11 kgs. Oh, damn. that's a lot. That's yeah. a big change. Yeah, yeah, it was a big change. And then jacked. I climbed, yeah, <laughs> I felt strong. Yeah. I just felt strong, you know. Um, but it wasn't natural because like, I did the Everest and then I mm. um, and then I was down to 48 kgs at the end. So you lost all the weight all on of Everest. All gone, okay. yeah. All those gains. A year and a half of training, six days a week, gone. That is actually painful. I remember when I used to do bodybuilding workouts like five days a week for years, I had like, couple months off I'm like what is going on like because mm. it's not like your natural so state skinny yeah. so quickly I'm like I think it's Stop. just <laughs> yeah it's it's your yeah. natural it's it's what I learned was because I always wanted to be bigger because I've always been skinny and it's just mm. like I learned that to accept my natural state whatever that natural state is and mm. so not over pushing my body to a point where um, it's not no, natural for me anymore because it's not natural if for two weeks you're sick and you lose it all like your body's sure. trying to tell you this is where I want to be and you keep pushing it out here. Mm. So it's just like, you know, find that space somewhere in the middle where it's, 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 you're still honouring the natural state of whatever that body shape type style mm. is instead of trying to be, you know, and, and it, it, it's up to you. I mean, some yeah. people, I used to love it. I was addicted to it, you know. Yeah, it was yeah. an addiction. It was great. It fed, it fed that. And, but for me, it wasn't sustainable. I wanted something that was for me a lifelong thing. So for me, yeah. it was about feeling healthy, mm. looking after my body and doing and being kind to my body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and if I feel good, then it doesn't matter what I look like. I, yeah. don't, I don't need to have huge muscles. True. Yeah. Yeah, true. I think that's one of the biggest things about like being in the fitness industry. It's kind of detaching from one, knowing that 
not knowing or you go into the gym yeah. to escape yourself to escape your own reality that's one thing yeah. or because it's like an addiction where it's an addiction where you can kind of just go into that you can run away from your problems mm -hmm. and it has one of the benefits is your body is like a little bit better yeah. however you're still going in there to escape yourself mm-hmm and, and it's also been seen. Yeah. You know, I used to go to the gym because I knew other people would watch and I'd lift harder weights. Yeah, no, that's true. You know, yeah. that was it. Yeah. It was like, yeah. oh, I'll go there because I know I'll work harder because I know there'll be people watching. Like, and they did because I used to lift, I, I don't know, I had a weird strength to, strength to weight ratio. Yeah. So I could, I could deadlift like 80 kgs. Down. So it's it was like just like, or like almost double your body yeah, weight. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it took a bit of training to get to that point, but I could still do that. And it was like, you know, but I did it because I, it was, for me, it was just that endurance stint. Mm. But it wasn't sustainable for me. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. my, that for me wasn't my life. I didn't want to live in a gym six days a week. I wanted to be just healthy. If I'm yeah, healthy, yeah. that's mm. all that matters. <laughs> yeah. You know, if I'm healthy and looking after myself and I feel good in my body, yeah. then that's what's important. But yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I couldn't, from, from knowing you for the last few years I've known you, I couldn't imagine you. In that environment, doing those things, you'd be a different kind of a different person. I was just visualizing you doing a massive deadlift, looking someone in the eyes, like, <laughs> dropping it like that's more than you. <laughs> yeah, I used to have some people staring, and they're like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it was yeah. really funny. It was funny in that respect. But that was the athlete in me because I used I used to be edge, yeah, yeah I used to be a gymnast, and so I've always got that edge. So I've mm. got to make sure I channel that in a way that's not driven by ego. True. Yeah. You know? True. Mm. Well, what is one of your biggest fears for, for mankind moving forward? Mm. That we actually can somehow make it, that we can stay alive. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's my biggest fear because we're all killing ourselves off. Mm. You know, whether it's bloody food poison, the food, the poison that's in food, the, um, you know, the jabs that everyone's getting, whatever, the, um, the, the poison in the air, chemtrails, mm. what, it depends on where you look, wherever you look, where being you know everything's yeah. been poisoned so um can we can we reverse can we can we actually steer the titanic the other yeah. way you know and i don't know i really don't know but all i need to know is what my service is what my lane is and focus on that yeah, yeah. because if i start looking out there at everything else and i have i get it's too depressing it is yeah it's too depressing and it's like you can get so caught up in in that story or in that story or in that story, whether it's, you know, whatever topic of conversation that it is, whether it's the food, GMOs, you know, organic um, chemtrails, or whether it's, you know, poisons, whatever it is, yeah. any of those you can look into. But for me, it's like I did all that and I researched all that and I watched all the, uh, and I got so down into a rabbit hole that it became depressing yeah. and I forgot my purpose. I forgot what my, and, and now it's like when that happens, it's good to be educated yeah. and just check in, see what's going yeah. on. But all I keep doing is bring myself back to my lane because if I'm driving in my lane and I'm looking at my road, then I don't, I know where I'm going and True. I'm being of service. My, mm. my, my lane is to be of service to humanity and to somehow minimize the damage of what's happening right yeah. now. If I can just focus on that, because the minute I look off my lane, 
who's driving my lane? You know, mm, no yeah. one else. Uh, someone, true. someone else can just jump in and drive it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's what happens to most mm. people. We're all so busy, like looking at someone else's car. Oh, that car looks nice in that lane, or that car's nicer in that lane. It's like, yeah. well, hang on, what's going on here? If we're not looking, then who's yeah. driving? True. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Your conditioning will be driving, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. Mm. Well, or other people, or the government, or whatever. True. <laughs> but what do you think is like um, behind this grand hierarchy or this this mess? Do you think there's some kind of um, alien, able, e alien, alien, alien. Thing, evil alien race who is controlling the population, or is, this, is it just mankind that's just gone too far? Like, yeah, well, I, I just think that it's mankind gone too far. Like, where mm. it's greed, it's money, it's yeah. power, it's hunger, yeah. it's ego. That's all it is. Consumerism, all of those things. Mm. You know, the moment we start to simplify our lives and and disconnect from all of that, while still, I see, I'm still a, an avid. I'll still watch occasionally the news, and I'll still mm. tap into what's going on in the world, whether it's fake or not. You know, I still want to make sure I know the broad spectrum of everything, and then I can govern my choice from that instead of just looking at one thing. You know, mm, so yeah. making sure that I'm aware of those things. But yeah, look, I think. You know, we are the greatest experiment. We're a, we're a C minus experiment on someone's shelf in the universal body. <laughs> you know, and I think that uh, they're just like collecting dust on the top of a shelf somewhere. We're definitely yeah. a D. Yeah. 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 Almost an F, I think. Yeah, yeah we're, we're getting we're getting close to a, to a D, D and an yeah. F yeah. if we don't if we can't turn things around. You know, um, but I believe I'm optimistic. I mm. think that you know I'm seeing and hearing more and more people beginning to. Um, awaken to it and sometimes it is going to take it getting worse before mm. it gets better True. Yeah. Um, so will that happen I don't know that that human nature or whatever that is that drives us towards greed and ego and all those seven deadly sins what do you think that actually is you know it's a part of us or it's something else or well I think we're governed by light and darkness duality mm. the world we live in is a world of duality so we are always going to have light and darkness and so I think part of it is what happens is that's part of your spiritual training. We come into the physical body, into the dense frequency mm. of us that is, that is a human being. Um, we try really hard as a human being to have a spiritual experience, but we're like, hang on, I'm, I was a spiritual being and I'm coming into the human experience, so maybe I'm meant to be here to be human, yeah. not to be out there in the fairies. You know, like I'm meant to be grounded, I'm meant to be in this experience while still having that, that connection. But... Um, yeah, I mean, what was what did you say again? I've lost my train of thought. Um, <laughs> what was so like, who governs? Who governs it? Yeah, the light thing? darkness thing. So I think that that yeah. So it's the light and darkness. So mm. the point I was making was that we go into the darkness as mm. part of our training. Yeah. But some of us get stuck. Yeah. So we get stuck in that because it's great. It's tempting. It's you know mm. feeds the ego. It feels good. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. All of that. You yeah. know, it's like the whole lot's in there. Yeah. Um, but it's actually, I always call it like we're kind of like kindergarten kids. We're kind of like in this mm. toy shop and we don't know what we're playing with. And then we see all the lollies and we get the sugar hit and mm. we feel good. And yeah. so we think it's good for us. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, well, actually, no, we need to take a step back and realize that the sugar is the thing that's killing us. True. Yeah. Both in the metaphorical sense and the real sense. Mm. <laughs> yeah. you know? So how people find their way out of darkness, they find themselves consumed in it. Like, is there anything wow. that sort of... Well, I think, I think it's, it's like anything. I think people who shine really bright lights have also been in the depths of darkness, gone through the mm. dark night of the soul. They've gone through that journey. Um, the only way to govern ourselves out is, one, I think, trust. It's two, gratitude. Mm. You know, start on the small things. Start really small. Like, where can you find the light in the darkness? Because the thing is, is you, look at the, you look at the sky, right? We can't appreciate 
the stars if we didn't have darkness. True, true. So yeah. we need it there, but it's just how do we dance with it? Mm. <laughs> you know, how do we dance with it in a way where we don't succumb to it and it becomes, we can experience it. We can go through our bouts of darkness, mm. you know, bouts of sadness or whatever you want to call it. And we, we delve into that unhealthy ego state. But the key is the observer. And so you've got to be able to observe yourself outside of yourself to be able mm. to pull yourself out. True. Yeah. And one more question. Mm -hmm. <laughs> when it comes to healing things like um, trauma or even sickness, are there anything that you've found that really helped in the healing process to remove blockages and also to restore ourselves from disease or autoimmune and mm. stuff like that? Yeah, it's simple what we, what we put in our mouths. Food, mm. like yeah. what are we eating? You know, um, yeah. bring it right back to just fruit and veggies. Like, you know, mm. the more, all of those things that are governed by dis-ease, yes, stress is a big killer, but it's all governed as well. The underlying part of it is what we eat, mm. you know, it, massive. And we're not taught that. So it's no one's fault. Even nutritionists uh, are still like pre are still preaching the wrong message. There's, I've seen many of them out there saying, True. eat more this, eat more that. But I think it's just, you know, do your own research. Um, mm. I would recommend checking out the medical medium, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Anthony yeah. William. Um, yeah. For me, out of my years of everything, that's the only thing that's really made sense for me. Perfect. And mm. um, again, one more time, the imposter syndrome thing. I yeah. think I missed out a bit of that. Can you just recap that? So the imposter syndrome is something that we all have, something yeah. we all face. Mm. Um, but I use it, and I think your question was, how do you deal with it? Yeah. And so I use it to my advantage. So when mm. I feel like that, I use it to make me better. So it's like if I feel like I'm not good at something or I think people are going to find me out or think that I'm talking about something that I'm not a, you know, all bottle, not full bottle on, yeah. I just go and teach it so I become full bottle. So I create mm. a group, I get people along to a workshop and I'll teach it. And as I teach it, I learn it because mm. we teach the things we need to learn the most. So just, everything yeah. we teach, every path we take is part of our own teaching. And so when we teach, we learn mm. as yeah. well. Yeah. It's just like facing it head on. Yeah. yeah. Beautiful. I have a question about digital consciousness. So mm. we know kind of like the way technology is progressing with humanity, it's kind of gone to a point where it's exponential. So technology is going to be part of our, our world, our existence. Is there a way that we can turn that digital consciousness into a positive thing? Yeah. And how would we go about doing that collectively? Yeah, yeah. I think it, collectively we do it by doing it individually. So individually we look at our relationship with our devices. We look at, for example, in my book where I said, when we're scrolling through Facebook fridge, I call it, you yeah. know, like when you look at a fridge and you're not hungry and you're just like, why am I looking at the fridge? So it's the Facebook fridge and you're kind of flicking through, flicking through, flicking through. It's having the ability to catch yourself watching yourself do it. And then you're like, mm, okay, what is the void I'm trying to fill here for connection that I'm missing here? So, um, you know, when we are, I use it as a self-worth bar barometer. Yeah. So when I'm looking and flicking and flicking, I, I, I feel like I, I, I obviously there's something I'm not addressing here because I'm feeling some kind of disconnection. Yeah. So I put the device down and I start to work on connecting back with myself. Um, so watching our, 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 our digital intake, you know, what are we doing? What's our digital relationship with, you know, when we go out, um, you know, for, for restaurants and things like that. Finding those times where you just put them away, just yeah, don't yeah. have them and watch yourself. How addicted to these things am I? Because it starts there, you mm. know, and it's like making those small choices. Switch off your Wi-Fi at night. Just don't have your phone in your bedroom um, when you're going to sleep. 
um, the first hour of your morning, no devices. Things like those little practices will help in slowly pulling you away from not being so dependent on them. And then that adds to the collective because your friends start to see you do it. When you go out to cafes, you like have a bowl where everyone puts their phones in the bowl so you're all connecting. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, things true, like that. Yeah. You can, there's ways you can do it. Yeah, and like the, that's now the way things are progressing is pretty much you can you can fully immerse yourself into like the digital world. So mm. I think the next step is going to be like Oh, we'll, VR, we'll have like digital detox centers and stuff. You know, oh, you think I so? Okay. Yeah, That'd like be pretty full, cool. full digital detox retreats and things for people, I reckon is what's going to happen. Because <laughs> like we're going to need it. Rehab yeah. Detox, yeah, like yeah. rehabs, di Good business digital idea. rehabs. <laughs> yeah, go for it. <laughs> you can just pay me a commission. 10% royalty. 10% royalty. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, now, um, where can people find you if they wanted to reach out? Do you available yeah. on social media? Yep, yep, just under my name, Tennille Bentley. Tennille Bentley? So, yep, yep, so T-E-N-I-L-L-E, -L -L -E, Bentley, um, under Instagram, Facebook, and TennilleBentley.com. Perfect. Yeah. And the other thing is, is there any questions that you wish people would ask you more often? Mm, no, not really. Okay. No, I yeah. think I like to just let people flow and yeah. let them be how they want to be. If they want to ask a question, then they do. If they don't, then that's cool with me too. That should do. Awesome. Cool. awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That was amazing. <laughs>